beauty. Yeah, buddy. Um, yeah, the sound was too low in my last episode, and yeah, this I, it's no, it's fine. It can yeah. be fixed, but it's one of those things where I, I like I take stuff like that very personally. Like it feels like a personal oh. failing on my part, and I I like when I read those comments. It like hurts me inside, but then I'm like, well, how am I gonna realize that I messed something up if I don't mess it up and people see I thought you me. I thought you did it on purpose to get comments and I was like, that was genius. <laughs> people are gonna comment that the sound's too low, it's gonna hit the algorithm, doesn't know what they're saying, just start showing it to more people. That's actually not a bad idea. You All know? right, so this is gonna be completely tilted out of frame. This focus is gonna be off. Yeah, yeah. Crank down the volume. Just make bad content on purpose yeah, to get the the A V nerds angry. Put, put captions in wingdings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just have just get people all fired up. Do you guys know how to fix this? Yeah, we have great. a comedian Adam Muller here. It is Muller, right? It's Mueller. Fuck. That's right. okay. Oh, it's okay. Yeah. I don't really I, I don't I thought that I would assume if there was an E after the U, then it would be Mueller. Right. If either an E or sometimes there's like the two dots over the U. Yeah. But Oh yeah, with the, the umlaut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The umlaut, yes. Do you uh you, yeah, you don't correct people very often, no. do you? Yeah. No. I mean I people have been calling me Bladel for years. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, I probably get brought to stage as Mueller half the time. Okay, and what you know, who cares? Yeah, exactly. But do you say like say the actual pronunciation to the host, or do they ask? It, oh, they often ask, and I tell them, and then half the time they'll still screw it up. Yeah, and you know, we've all hosted. Remembering name, if you don't know the person, remembering the name kind of sucks. And then there's some people that have brought me up like 50 times, and it's been wrong every time. And and now I just I'm too like <laughs> now I'm like I don't want to. If I correct them now, they're going to feel so bad. I know. That I'm like, oh, I guess it's just going to, I'm going to be Muller to that person forever. And that's fine. There's an episode of Friends that's like that where there's someone in Chandler's office that calls him like Tom and he's been calling him Tom for years. Yeah, you can't. can't. Yeah, it's you like can't. at what point do I interject? Sometimes when I'm hosting and like I, if it's someone I'm bringing up for the first time or they have like a complicated yeah. name that I can't, I'll like brick it a little bit and then i'll do that costanza thing where he tries to talk about his favorite authors where it's like give it up for brad Friedman, like that oh yeah i'll just yeah you just get loud yeah give it up for people <laughs> and, and then they come up and they're just like what the fuck was yeah. that it's like yeah, it's, it's that guy um how how is the summer going for you i know like oh. co summer for comedy can be very slow and comedians handle it differently um it's felt good. It's it's. I mean, the, to me, the biggest negative of the summer is just running around in the in the heat and humidity and mm -hmm. getting to every club already having sweat through your pants. But uh, um, it's been good. It's been productive. Um, I mean, it feels like uh, some shows maybe crowds are like a little bit at certain clubs. Crowds are a little lighter during the summer than they are in other parts of the year. But at other places, however, you know, they seem to just be still filling up the rooms and. Yeah, I think like. Other places, you mean comedy clubs or like independent shows? Because I, th I, yeah, think I think independent shows and bar shows suffer far more than the clubs. Oh, really? I, that's just my my observation. Yeah, because um, I, yeah. I feel like I guess those shows are like people who are local that just need to like get the hell out of town, whereas like the clubs are like the tourists. But I don't know, like like are there a lot of tourists you think that come into the city in the summer? It's not like the holidays for sure. Oh, I think I think the you know folks from Middle America and stuff. I think New York's a big tourist destination during the summer. Really? Yeah. yeah. And it's just a matter of if you can capture the as a as a comedy club, can you capture those people? Yeah, but just like pitch the AC, like when you're in Times yeah. Square and it's like forty two or when you're in Times Square and it's like ninety five degrees outside, it's you don't even have to lie and be like, we've got Tina Fey on the show tonight. Yeah. It's like we got AC. Like if you're coming to New York from Ohio and half your meals are going to be at the Red Lobster, you'll yeah. go to a comedy show. Yeah. 
you got nothing else to do. Yeah, you're, you know, you're, it's part of the. I think going to see live stand-up comedy in New York is is for a lot of people is part of the list. Yeah, of things to do. So it's like Statue of Liberty comedy club. Yeah, a Broadway show. Red Lobster. Red Lobster. Um, so you are. We've had an international comedian on here before. We had Katie oh. Boyle. Oh sure. You are the first Canadian. Oh, on the show. All right, yeah. Um, what an what an honor. Oh, you are. The uh, there we go. <laughs> the, it, like the royal British spelling. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Exactly. I uh, the same thing I asked Katie. I want to ask you. Like, what came first in your like journey? Like, like do I want to do comedy in America or I just want to go oh. to America? Oh, first was I guess coming to America. because mm-hmm. um, uh, I started comedy in New York. Okay. So I'm international in terms of my passport and where I was born, but as a comedian, I'm sort of New York born and bred. All right. Um, so I was already I'd been already here for a long time. And what you came to uh, the states? For I came for college. For okay. College, yeah. Nice. And then I just kind of like never went back. Like, how did you? I, I guess just take us through that. Like, yeah. quickly. So you come to MIT? Was it? Well, I went to. I got a master's at MIT, so I went to. Okay. I, I came for undergrad and went to a school called Colby College in. Oh, I know Colby. In Waterville, Maine. Mm-hmm. Um, got a job from there in Boston, um, and then went back to graduate school like several times. Several times. Several times. I got two master's degrees. It's oh a, my god! Yeah, yeah. I'm. You know, you got to get those qualifications to be a comedian, and um, and then got a job. Uh, after my after MIT got a job in New York, which brought me to New York, and then uh, ultimately started comedy sometime after that. What I mean was comedy like always in the back of your head, or was it just like your whole life path was like I'm gonna go to America, I'm gonna get a great education, multiple graduate degrees, and then I'm gonna get this like sick job on Wall Street. Yeah, like I've ne- it, I never thought about doing comedy. Mm-hmm. So like you know these people they're like ever since I was ten I was listening to albums late at night. My parents thought I was sleeping. It's no. Um, I wasn't like that at all. And, and, and part of it, it's not that I didn't like it. Like the little, when I, when you'd hear something here and there, it's like, Oh, that's funny. I enjoy that. But it never even crossed my mind as something you could actually do. Um, and I was just, I just kind of was always taking it one step at a time. Oh, I'll go do that. Oh, why don't I go get a degree at MIT? Then I got to MIT. Casually. Like, it's like, yeah. My yeah. And then, you know, and then I was lucky enough to, to get in. And then it's like, well, what do I, now that I'm here, I'm like, what are, so what do people do after this? Like, oh, I, here's, I'll talk to some people that went to Wall Street. That sounds interesting. And like a child. Like, I think for, for me, it was more like I listened to people that were like, had graduated a few years before me and were working at banks on Wall Street. And it sounded like so hard and painful. I was like, I want to see if I can handle that. <laughs> It's like someone like doing a marathon just to see if they can or something, you know, like um, I want to put myself through that pain. Have you always wanted to challenge yourself like that? Um, I guess to see. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the marathon's an interesting example because I did. I've run like four marathons, I think. And I think at first it was just to see if I could. And then once I'd done one and I had like a time, I was like to see if I could beat a certain time. Mm. And then after a couple more, I was like, I'm going to dis- like destroy my body if I keep doing this. It seems like that's kind of wired into you then because like every, every step I'm hearing in this process is a very difficult step where it's like, I'm going to leave my home country to go to college, which, and like Colby, I mean, like, it, like I think of those, like the, the NESCAC, like it's like yeah, the yeah. division three Ivy league. Exactly. Basically. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's probably fair. Yeah. Um, and like, so that's a difficult school to begin with. Mm. And then you, but you had a, you had a job for a little bit in Boston and then it's like, well, then I'll just go to grad school. Now, what, what did you made? What was your master's in at MIT? 
uh, it was it was uh, an MBA essentially. Okay. So like fi- it was like finance business stuff. And then then it's like all right, I got this MBA. Yep. Now I'm gonna go. I hear Wall Street sucks. I'm gonna go see if I can do that. So it's just like you're just like kind of upping the challenge level. Then after, and I guess we'll get to this, you know, down the line a little bit. But then at some point, it's like, well, now I'm gonna try and build a career in stand up. Like Wall Street was like too easy almost. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, yeah, I mean, too easy. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go too easy. But it's yeah. like I'm very good at focusing on like one big thing, and then putting all my energy into that. And until I pivot to some other big thing, that's getting all my attention and I don't like doing things like I'm not I I don't like doing things if there's not a path to sort of extreme success which doesn't mean (laughs) that you're going to succeed right I'm not it's not like I'm not um it's not like hubris of like I'm going to become the biggest comic in the world no of course not like the chances of that are like I, I could win the Powerball with as much probability as doing that but at the same time it's like it's not impossible mm-hmm. or it's not impossible to um, to think of like a goal that would be an extreme form of success and if and as soon as I don't think that's possible I don't really want to do that thing anymore so for you it's about just like high difficulty high payoff yeah like I like to have a, a, a achievable yet extreme goal that I'm kind of working towards and that I put all my energy towards like when I like when I started investment banking right there I, I'm I'm going to make up rough numbers because I don't imagine exactly, but like there is every year there's like an incoming class of new associates and it's comprised of people from, from business schools and people that were analysts out of undergrad that got promoted to associate. And they say there was like a hundred of us and they, they basically tell you, and it turns out to be true within two to three years, 80% of those people will be gone. And, and so like committing to myself that I was, I was going to be one of the 20% that was still around. After three years. After three years. Did like, you have a goal of making like I want to be there ten years, or I just want to get past three? I was more like I want to get pa- like I want to get past that that sort of initial phase where most people, like people were leaving within six months. Mm-hmm. They're just like I can't. I'm at work at three in the morning, and I got to be like this is so this is not how life is. I know it. I know it's not the same thing, but it sounds like the Navy SEALs where it's like all of these like tough guys, and then like within a couple weeks mm-hmm. they're like, training, they're ringing the bell, ringing they the bell. Leave. Yeah, there was there was that. I mean, I, I, I Navy SEAL training. Obviously, very like physically demanding. Whereas we're sitting at computers on Microsoft Excel, but like the mental, the mental challenge and the stamina and just training yourself to still think when you haven't slept in three days um, is an interesting process. And perhaps like that is in some ways a fair analogy. But yeah, you don't want, don't ring the bell. Can you can you can you make it? Yeah. And um, and I was a summer associate at the bank, like between years of business school, and so at that point, I was just trying to get the offer to come back because I think I was in a group there was maybe 10 or 11 of us summer associates and I think two of us came back wow um it was this yeah so it was like from just, year one to year two or just like no like because what happens is you go for like a 10-week summer internship and then they hire some full-time people from okay. that group so it's like an extended audition basically it's like a 10-week interview it's it's that's the worst part like that 10 weeks is insane because mm-hmm. you don't know what you're doing and you can't leave because you want to, you want you want the reputation as the person that'll do anything that works the hardest that gets things done and that is good and that is likable and that you know you need to check all these boxes so that at the end of the summer they're like you can come back next fall and start full time and you don't like do they give you any updates like progress reports as it's going along you or you just have yeah. to like guess in your own head there was like a midsummer review but you know i'm not sure that anyone got like a terrible one right um 
I just think it was, it was just one of those. I like I was thrilled to get the offer to come back. I don't know that if that I thought I was going to necessarily get it. Okay. Because I don't think I was the best at the job at that point. But um, I think I was like, there's also an element of like who who do you like like being around at three in the morning when mm-hmm. when it when you need to be productive because you got something that's got to be done by seven in the morning. Who's a good hang? Who's a, yeah? And ultimately, it, it's amazing how much that plays into like literally everything, like art, yes, business just anything like it, it's all just about the pe- even like i've heard football coaches talk about i won't hire anybody i don't like yeah because again you are surrounding yourself with these people so that that has to, the question is like how much of a percentage do you lean on with that like like right. versus competency and it's like how much of a dick can you be and still get away with it because like how good do you have to be to get away with being a dick kind right of? right yeah. and like in that case sort of there's like a probably a grace under pressure kind of thing that they're paying attention to mm-hmm when they want something but when you need something by seven or nine a.m and it's three in the morning and it's not done yet like you people start to fall apart yeah <laughs> wait so this is what i've always wondered too because and you explained this a little a little bit to me one night at new york comedy okay Club, but like i always hear because i have people friends that went into investment banking mm-hmm. and you, you hear all these like stories about how difficult it is and how much time and how how much work what what, what the workload is like what work are you actually doing like like what is mm. filling those hours yeah, so there's, I would put it like there's there's kind of two different buckets where there's like when you're actually working on a real transaction. So company A is acquiring company B, and there's all kinds of stuff that has to happen for that to uh, – as like the financial advisor, there's all this stuff that has to happen for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's all the stuff – then there's the other bucket, which is all the stuff you're doing until you actually get hired to execute a transaction. So you can almost think of that as like you're the – you're going to companies and telling them – other companies they should or could buy. You're going to companies and tell them who might want to buy them. Your um, companies are asking how they might raise money in the capital markets because they want to expand to Asia or something. And you're you're telling them like, well, you could issue stock. Here's what's going to happen. You could do that. You know, you could raise money in the debt markets. You could bank loans. Like whatever. It's almost like a, a sort of extreme form of financial consulting mm-hmm. where the where you get paid when it turns into an actual transaction. Oh, so you don't get paid like a consulting fee, but like you no. So the the incentive is to do this great job so that they end up either yeah. investing or getting invested in or getting bought or buying. I mean, it's not a perfect analogy, but think of it like a real estate agent. Like you say, you own an apartment or a house. Every once in a while, you'll just get a, a call out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So hey, I'm Joe Blow, a real estate agent. Have you ever thought about selling your apartment? I think I could get two million bucks for it or whatever. Yeah, and. And they don't get paid for making that call, but they, they only get paid if you, one, you're interested in selling and you sell and you use them. So that's what invest. A lot of investment bankers are running around like those real estate agents going like, hey, uh, Microsoft, you know, you could, here's five companies you could buy and here's why you should buy them and we wow. can help you do it because we have relationships with all, you know, that kind of stuff. But there's huge like, like data and math and analysis behind that. Like yeah, the, yeah. the prospecting work is yeah. insane. So th- yeah, because some, some, some managing director will, will get it. We'll use, let's use Microsoft. They get a meeting at Microsoft. I'm like, oh, never had a meeting. A meeting with the head of strategy at Microsoft. So then they'll go and they'll get, say, me in my first couple of years and say, we got a meeting next week with Microsoft. Um, I want to pitch them 10 companies that they should buy. And then I got to go and I've got to build financial models for all 10 of those companies. Then I've got to build the financial models that combines it as if Microsoft bought it. That includes how Microsoft would finance it. And, and put that all in a presentation, which ends up being like 200 pages. Ugh. And then to get that presentation bound 
And then I have to, if I usually then have to carry this box, <laughs> this 500 pound box of presentations. Yeah, ring, I'm ringing the to, bell already to, to on, the airport. Yeah. Fuck that, dude. No way. To the airport for a 7 a.m. flight to Seattle or wherever Microsoft is. Oh, my God. Um, and go to the meeting. And then you get to the meeting sometimes and they never open the presentations. They just chat for an hour <laughs> and they never get to it. And then, they, then the senior guy on the way back is like, oh, it's always you always know it's a good meeting when you never need the presentation. Meanwhile, you haven't slept in a week because you had to do all that work. Oh my god! That's, all right, uh, so that's one bucket. That's a week like, in the life. Yeah. The, what, what was the other bucket? You well, made? then is when you're actually doing a transaction. Okay. And then there's there's um, you know, you're building a you're building a model to show that like what the financial impact of the transaction is, and you have to make uh, often the financial advisor has to make a presentation to the board of directors who has to approve the transaction. And then there's and then there's all the deal terms are always changing because there's a negotiation going on where it's like you're offering a certain amount of money or some cash and stock to the um, and you got to agree on terms and often the terms aren't agreed on until the last minute, which is you know three a.m. and that changes the model and that changes time. the model, which means the board presentation has to change and then you got to get that board and the board has to see the presentation. You have to have a meeting where they have to vote to to approve the deal and all those numbers have to be right. Or, or there's big problems, right? Yeah. Um, and then there's like, there's, there's uh, often banks will also do these things called fairness opinions where the, the, the buyer, so the company that's buying the other company, the board wants a fairness opinion, which is just this valuation analysis that says they're paying a fair price because the board is a fiduciary to the sh their shareholders and their shareholders are going to get mad if they overpay for something. Mm -hmm. So they need this kind of, it's sort of this legal thing that says that was fair. Um, and then there's a merger document that the lawyers, lo the lawyers on M&A deals are the only people that have it worse than the bankers. Cause those, that's a massive legal lease document that's always changing, but the bankers also have to go through it for all the key deal terms. And there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. I, yeah. I'm, I'm hearing all this and I'm very glad I majored in liberal arts. Yeah. It's, like, a, it's no one who's everyone who's watching for comedy has turned off the episode yeah, by was, now, but we're uh, getting there. I promise. No, but, uh, yeah, I was about to switch. So like at what, yeah. I mean, so how long are you in finance until you, one, give comedy a try, and then two, how are you balancing starting comedy with this this insane yeah. demand of time with, with finance? Um, so so uh, I left Goldman, and I had this brief window. This was, and I had this brief window of time, and I took a comedy class. Because all of a sudden, I was like, because like, when I was actually at the bank, I couldn't plan Right. Things in the evenings. No. There were no evenings. But all of a sudden, I had this window. So I took one of those like five or six week classes, right? You, you know, a class every week, which is sort of like a feedback mic, effectively. Mm -hmm. And then a bringer show at the end. And it was fun. When you say you left Goldman, you mean you quit or you took a leave? Oh, or I quit. Like, okay. I, and well, you had like savings and you were just like, I'm going to I'm gonna just kind of do yeah. whatever well, and figure well, out what's I, next? Well, I left Goldman to go to a hedge fund. Okay. Um, But there was a gap there where I had a little time. So I took this class. How long was the gap? Yeah, five or six weeks or something. Okay. Oh, yeah, it's nothing. Yeah. It wasn't. And um, so I took the class and, and it was fun. Did the bringer show, had a blast. Didn't, didn't think about comedy for years after that. Oh, wow. Because I didn't have time. Because then I was at this hedge fund and then uh, ended up at an investment management company in California for four years. Um, and then I came back. Then that ended and I came back to New York. And I was looking for another job in, uh, in finance. And um, I was like, well, you know, you can't look for a job for 12 hours a day. Mm hmm. And I thought, oh, that comedy class I took way back, that was fun. I wonder if that still exists. And I looked it up, and the same class existed with the same teacher. And uh, What club was it at? This was um, Linda Smith taught a class 
and it was through Caroline's. Oh, wow. So the show was at Caroline's, uh, RIP Caroline's. But, yeah, um, uh, so I was like, well, I'll take that. You know, that I, I ended up taking like actually that class and a screenwriting class while I was looking for a job. Right. And I did the same class, right. Five or six weeks. You do a show at the end. And then the show happened. And then I started, I went to a couple open mics. Then I started going to like an open mic every day. And then I realized I'd stopped looking for a job. Oh, wow. And it wasn't like a conscious thing. I just had stopped putting the time in looking for a job. And then I thought, you know what? I'm going to give comedy three months. I'm not going to, no stress about the job. Three months, I'm just going to go as hard as I can. So I did, you know, whatever. Three, four open mics a day, wrote every day for like three months. And then I, at the end of the three months, I said, I'm going to give it another three months. And the end of those three months, I said, I'm going to give it six more months. So it's a whole year. So now it's a year. And at the end of the year, I was like, I'm going to stop counting. And I just kept going. Wow. So like, I mean, during that break, like, what are you doing for like money and health insurance at the time? Like, is it just oh, like, yeah, like, sure. like saved money from, from working in, in banking for so long? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I had, I basically, I had savings and I sort of calculated what my, you know, monthly spend was and including health insurance that you had paying for out of pocket. Mm -hmm. And I kind of made a little plan of like, okay, um, here's three years of money. And when that's gone, I have to, I have to go get a job again. Wow. And then. That's what, and, and that's what I did. Um, and then I haven't gone and gotten the job again. So how long ago was that initial coming back to New York and like starting to look for a job? And I'll, I'll give it three months. That was like 2016, 2017. Okay. So that, I mean, this has been like a pretty quick turnaround. This has been like yeah. six, seven years of, of just comedy. Yeah. Uh, 20, July, 2017 thereabouts, I feel like was the show from that class I took after I came back. So I kind of think of that as when I started because mm -hmm. it was after that show that all of a sudden I was doing it every day. Wow. Um, I know it's at six, that's probably six years right around now. Wait. Yeah. 20. Yeah. It's time is very yeah, fluid. That, six, is, six that is years. six years. Yeah. So you have like that three year runway. Yeah. Once you got to the end of the three years, what was it that allowed you to keep going? Were you like picking up jobs on the side? Was comedy like paying the, the, minimum spend that you needed for each month like what no what that i just like? started going deeper into save my savings oh okay yeah <laughs> so I, you said three years but you really stretched it beyond i stretched it yeah yeah i stretched it and and i still am oh, oh but uh you know i've picked up a few odd like little consulting things here and there now that help a bit mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm not willing at the moment to work on non-comedy stuff for more than like an hour or two a day wow that's that I mean, like it's it sounds like you've established a pretty solid way of living. Like, like you're very. I mean, obviously the finance background helps, but you're very, very clear on like here's what I can spend every month. Here's what I have coming in. Here's what I need to to pick up. Mm. Like, I, I feel like this is like maybe the most practical your <laughs> your education has been able to like fit into your life. Because obviously you can make a bunch of money like working at a, at a, in a at an investment bank, but like now this is like this is really going towards like um underwriting something you really care about. yeah yeah i mean i do th i think of it as investing in myself and i also think like those first few years you were spending a lot of money to do comedy you know some open mics might cost five bucks mm -hmm. some might you have to buy a drink some are five bucks and a drink and if you're doing three four open mics a night um that really adds up so once you once you get to the point where you're actually not paying to get on stage anymore you're not making money, right? But you're, you're not losing what you were losing, so you're actually going in the right direction. I know it doesn't feel like a step up, but technically it is a step yeah. up. Yeah, and, and there are, I mean, 
even back then, like 2016, 2017, I still think there were a lot of free mics around the city. Because, yeah. like, the Creek in the Cave was still active, and, like, you would find random places, parts in Brooklyn or Bushwick. And, and I've talked about this before in the podcast, but now it feels like the free mics are mostly gone. Like, uh, the oh. free bucket mics. Like, I feel like that kind of died out with COVID. And now it's almost every mic is this kind of pay five bucks buy buy a drink yeah, maybe yeah. do both also sign up in advance like via instagram like like the the mechanics of doing yeah open mic comedy in the city aren't as they were five years ago yeah the show up go up thing feels feels like it's mostly gone yeah um which is in- interesting because i guess it's up to i mean that's one of those things which is up to the comics that are at that stage to just bring it back if they mm-hmm. want to right but, but I feel like I feel like Gen Z because Gen Z kind of runs the comedy scene now as far as like the open mics and mm. the independent shows. And I feel like either they don't know about it or they're not. It's just not how they think or it's it's not part of their the way they look at stuff. That's I don't interesting. Uh, that's that just that's just kind of what I've and I could be this opinion could be completely wrong. But, yeah, that's just kind of what yeah, I've yeah. seen as I've been as I've been going around. Um, so like during the last six years, like like what are some big like. So like markers that kind of made you keep going. You said three months, oh, yeah, three months, yeah. six months. And then it's like I'm I'm done counting. Um, it was really just I felt myself getting better, and I think like there's an element when you start we have to be a little delusional because no one you're just not like when you when you compare yourself to uh, professional comedians and the people that everyone knows like you're you're nowhere near. It's like no, um, it's embarrassing. It's an embarrassing comparison, but you have to see something in yourself where you think I think I can get better at this or i think there's there's a spark here there's something interesting and i'm enjoying it and you keep going and every three months i would what i would you know i would look back at and i'd watch a tape or listen to a set from three months before and be so embarrassed by that 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 told me that i'd gotten better that's good And three months later listen back to three months before oh god so it's like okay if i'm able like if i'm if the learning curve is this steep let's keep riding it mm-hmm. um and I, and i still i think that that dynamic almost like continues to this day where if I watch something from three months ago, there's some stuff where I'm going to be like, Ugh. I mean, that's good. That is like positive growth. And I, I think it's like the same way with even non-comedy stuff. Like you like sometimes like the um, memories part of Facebook almost feels like a psychological attack every yes. now and then. Cause it's like, Oh, here's something I posted 10 years ago. It's like, Oh my God, what the hell? Why did I think that was funny? Interesting, cute, whatever. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, it's, it's like reminding you, the awful person you used to oh, be. I think that's Facebook just reminding us that, hey, man, everything you've posted, we have it. <laughs> yeah. Don't go away. Don't, Something bad might yeah, happen. Yeah, I, yeah. it's ni- nice uh, drunken pictures you had there from college. Be yeah. a shame if something happened to him. Yeah, good luck running for president. <laughs> yeah, and I, um, but even like the same thing, it, it is painful with that stuff yeah. and, and deeply cringe inducing, but. But I think it's important. It like, is. And you try to remind yourself that, like, Oh, this this means I've grown as a person. Yeah, I've yeah. gotten better either comedically or just as as a human being. I told someone just the other day who's like relatively new, and I said, "Look, the second most important thing to do as a newer comic is to record all your sets, and the most important thing to do is to listen to the recordings because mm-hmm. everyone records it now. But like, do you you got to listen, and it's painful. It is sometimes. painful, yeah. and, but it's also nice in that like, because so, sometimes I'll have, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, where 
I'll have a set and it's like, oh my God, that was awful. And then I'll go back and watch the tape. It's like, actually, it wasn't as, it's never as bad as you thought yeah, it yeah. was and it's never as good as you thought it yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting how it always compresses. Like, you thought you killed and then you watch it. You're like, well, that was okay. Yeah. And you thought you bombed and you watch it. You're like, oh, that well, wasn't as bad as I thought. Mm-hmm. It's always somewhere in the middle. The pit in my stomach wasn't, uh, wasn't yeah. necessary. Well, so, speaking of taping yourself, you're, yeah, yeah. you're someone who, you're like very tech savvy and like mm. and I, i've gone to you a couple times for like audiovisual questions sure, sure. whether for the podcast or recording is that something that always kind of came naturally to you or is it one of those things where when you started comedy you're like i need this skill set i mean it's one of those things where like i've always enjoyed that kind of stuff you know um as a kid we had like a dark room in our house because my dad was into photography oh wow so i remember like i remember actually shooting and then developing like my own film Oh, like, like, like not film, not just film. pictures, not like, like film, like pre-digital film, film in a room with complete darkness, just so you don't ruin the stuff. And, um, and I always had fun and then, and then making prints and stuff. And I always enjoyed that. And, you know, during the, uh, the, in 20, during 2020, when everything was, was closed, like I just picked a few things to focus on. So one of my projects was I just to figure out video editing. And it's amazing if you just sit down for a couple hours a day for like three months and watch YouTube videos about any topic, mm-hmm. you'll learn a lot. Yeah. And then you start doing it and you learn by doing, you know, and I made some weird little black and white film noir things <laughs> as a way to just learn video editing. And um, I did the same thing with cameras because I wanted to, I wanted to film a special, but I didn't want to pay someone to do it. So I was like, instead of paying someone, what if I buy like nice equipment for the less than it would cost to have someone come in and film it? And then I'll have the equipment for after, you know, to continue using, but I got to know how to use it. So for like three months, I was watching three hours a day of video, photography, camera, lenses, all kinds of stuff on YouTube and learned a fair amount. Um, That's such like a heavy, I mean, I guess it's like, it's in your kind of history in terms of like schooling and being able to process a lot of information. Mm. But like, yeah, it's, it's such a heavy influx of information. It, it's almost like overwhelming up front. Like, yeah. like do you... Like, how do you just take in all that stuff and be able to put it to practice? I, I, yeah, it's a good question. I don't know. It's just, I find it's interesting and it's fun. Like the first thing I did when I walked in this room was I wanted to know what camera you're using. Yeah. Um, Sony 6400, good camera. Um, I don't know. I just, I like, I like that kind of stuff. I think it's, 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 it's interesting. Video editing is fun, which is, it's, I'm, and I'm glad I like it because it's a, it's a tedious part of being a comedian to, um, cause not only do you have to watch your stuff now, you got to figure out, Oh, that I could clip that mm-hmm. and then get it captioned and blah, blah, you know, post it on 500 different social media things and all that stuff. All right. I, I want to ask you this before it slips my mind here. Cause I've been yeah. talking about this with a few different people recently. Um, cause you're someone who, who posts a lot of clips and mm-hmm. films a lot. How I kind of feel like sometimes, and this just might be my own personal thing. Okay. That. Whenever I'm performing and I'm filming it, there is a part of me that yeah. is watching someone else watch it through yeah, yeah. Instagram or TikTok. And yeah. and you kind of lose – I kind of lose a little bit of the presence in the room itself. How do you fight against that? Are you able to prevent it? Like, like what is do – you, do you ever feel that way? What's that like for you? I don't feel that way. And I think part of it is um, – if you just decide to film everything, mm-hmm. you eventually forget the cameras there. Okay. It's when you film everyone. It's like when you're like, oh, you know, there's these festival submissions coming up. I need a new five minute tape. And so you're filming certain sets. Then there's this pressure to have like the set of your life because the camera's on. 
Right. And that almost always makes it extremely difficult to actually achieve that. But if you just film everything, eventually you'll get it. Yeah, the camera's not even like a second thought. It's just it's like just it's there. another apparatus like the mic. Yeah. Yeah, it's just part of it. Like I feel like it's just part of being a comic. And it's wonderful at these clubs that have camera systems in place mm -hmm. where you don't even have to think about it. You just get it after the fact. Um, but if you can't or you got to set up your own camera, you just set it up, you turn it on, and just go do your thing. Like don't even think twice and about cause, it. Because I also think like a set's either going to – if a set goes great and I get the tape I wanted, fantastic. That was the goal. If a set goes terribly, there's something on there that's going to be weird and funny that could be a, a fun clip, or I'm going to learn something. So, like, even – I guess that would be one of the benefits of this kind of new, like, online clip culture of, like, even the stuff that doesn't go well can be useful or it doesn't have to be for nothing. I think so. Because, like, what – like, when you're trying to make a submission tape, what ruins it? Someone heckles you. Um, someone uh, Someone drops a drink. You someone know, you, stumbles you, in you, drunk. Someone stumbles in drunk. You mess up a line. All of those things can be funny clips. Mm -hmm. So you like, and it's just, you know, watch, you, you learn, you're going to learn something from every set. Um, and I also, I try, this is in, in sort of a new thing I'm doing right now, but I try to keep, I have a little like repository of the best version of every current joke. Oh, nice. Um, and I have this folder now. So every set, every tape I watch it and then I cut it into into the individual jokes. And then if any of those versions are better than like the current version, I swap it out mm -hmm. so that I can kind of always watch sort of like this Frankenstein together set, <laughs> um, which is something I started doing recently, but it's actually been, it's been pretty helpful. Cause I'll be like, they'll be like, I got it. You're doing 10 minutes on this show and I'll just write out a set list and then I'll create the video of it. And then, oh. and then watch it. Oh, as a way to like kind of here's what I want it to sound like. Here's exactly here's... what the set is. Wow. And and I'm gonna and I'm watching the best version I have of every joke. And best version, not just how the audience reacts, but like that I got it word perfect. Mm -hmm. And you know And it felt like yourself. And it, it felt yeah. like it myself. And it, you know, there's no weird riff that went nowhere. It's yeah. just this is the best of current version I have of this joke. And um I've actually kind of Frankensteined together like my next hour. So, and, and now I can like, and I'll take the audio of it where I, cause then when, with the audio, you don't see this, the different clubs and different sets. You just listen to it and you sort of, as you listen to it, you're, you're thinking of tags and ways things connect and the order. And, um, that's actually been a really helpful sort of new element of process that I've started doing the last like month, maybe. That is so interesting because as a comic, I typically just think of tapes as like output of like, this is going to. Show, I'm going to show it to somebody or it's going to mm. get me something or like, you know, it'll do well online, whatever. But really you're using these tapes as like creative input almost like yes. you're, you're, t you're watching them for your own growth purposes. Yeah. Because if I can have um, like kind of the, the best version of my new hour to listen to, then I'm just going to, it's just going to help me make it better. Wow. What, um, when did you record your special that's up now? Um, June, what year is it now? 20, 2023. So June, 2022. And then it came out in September. So it's, it's coming up on a year that it's been out. But yeah. It'll, in another month, it'll have been a year. Yeah. And how do you have like a plan for when you're going to record this next hour or is it still work on it and then find the date later? Yeah. December 7th. Oh, December 7th. Yeah. Where are you going to record? Same place. Uh, West side. West side. Okay. Cause it's sort of like a sequel. Okay. Like, so I, I, I kind of want it to be at the same place. I'll probably wear the same thing. It, it, 
I don't want to give away the magic. Oh God. Um, probably just jinxed it, but it connects. It's like, it's almost like it's meant to be one thing. So connects in. I mean, yeah, again, feel free to share as much yeah. or as little as you want. Connects in terms of like a narrative. Connects thematically, or like there are some loose threads in the first one that are be resolved in the second one. Um, well, there's there there is a callback in the second one to the first one. Okay, which is a weird thing to do, I suppose. And the first the second hour starts with the same joke that the first hour ended with, with one word different, and then kind of goes from there. That, that's really interesting. Um, but it's not like there's a narrative. Like I, you know, I I'm I'm more sort of uh, modular jokes at this stage so it's just a lot of jokes i mean there are a lot of this is very, you know a lot of it's very personal and stuff but it's not it's not um it's not like a it's not some journey of self-discovery or something it's not there's not some broader arc to it it's just hopefully funny but yeah but there is like a thematic kind of or like yeah but and all the jokes in the second hour are the same types of they're different jokes but they're the same types of jokes okay and then and i want it to like and then then i'll have you know sort of two hours of this type of joke which i really enjoy and then the third hour will be different. What what does this type of joke mean? You mean just like set up punch or like just kind of very segmented? Like what is what is Yeah, this like um Yeah, like set up punch, tag, tag, mm -hmm. I guess if you had to distill it down to that. But like structured uh structured jokes with um with as few words as possible, you know, really, really kind of tight jokes with like high laughs per minute. And um, and sort of fun. And the um, third hour yeah. is like it's, it's just like conceptual at this point, or you've already kind of started writing it out. Already, it's already in. I mean, it's very very rough, and most of it has never been said on stage, so it could all be garbage. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm do I'm writing the third hour in a very different way than I've ever written jokes that are in these first two hours. Okay. Um, and it's been a, and it's and it's um, I can say what it is. It's a weird thing. So, uh, I had this. I like reading stuff. So there's, there's, you can get transcripts of specials. So I was reading transcripts and, uh, and what I would do is I would, I would take them off the internet and I'd, uh, cut and paste them into a word file, change the font. So they all had kind of the same font size and stuff. And I'd look at how many pages they were and how many words they were. And I looked at a bunch of different comics that of course I like, but also that have certain, like uh, a certain cadence and a certain, you know, speed of speaking, I guess. And I kind of, Realize that, like, okay, an hour of good stand-up comedy is anywhere from between you know twelve and sixteen pages at this font size. Double space or single space? Single space. Okay, and uh, and is like anywhere from nine thousand to twelve thousand words or whatever. And I kind of had that in mind. And then I just sat there one, one day. I woke up in the I couldn't sleep. I got up at two a.m. and I just went to the computer and I wrote twelve thousand words. So I wrote an hour, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, it's not funny. Um, but then every day I go through it and I delete a third of it and then I rewrite it until it's an hour again. Whoa. And every day I just keep doing that. And slowly it starts to get more interesting and like jokes start to appear. And, um, and I'm going to, and I'm continuing to do that. And I'll keep doing that until it's time to like go to stage with the third hour, which won't be until next year. Would you do it for the first time all at once or would you do it bit by bit? I'll have to figure that. Well, I, I, I mean, if I look, if I'm not, I'm not, I don't get enough headlining. <laughs> uh, I don't have enough of a fan base where I could, we would be allowed right. to go do it. So um, I've, I I did pull one joke out of it already because I was like, I need this for the second hour because I like it so much. Awesome. And I distilled it down to like a short, you know, 40 second joke. But um, for the most part, it's kind of self-contained. 
And I just want it's just sort of like a process and we'll see what happens. But they're, they tend to, it's sort of a longer, the jokes are kind of longer and deeper and, and maybe there's a little more like texture and depth to some of the stuff that I'm talking about. Do you so we'll find say, that it's influencing the way you're delivering stuff now or you're able to keep it like segmented? No, I mean, I'm sure it bleeds in a little bit, but even to some of like the topics and, and there's other things like as you do, as you get more and more, like, and I'm still relatively new in standup, right? Like six, seven years in, but like there's things I can do now and we'll try now that would have like ruined me. Like four years ago, I would have said it. Everyone would have just booed and I would have started crying and left. <laughs> And now I can say it, and if there's a weird reaction, I can you know smile and pivot and and hopefully get out of it, um, which gives me the courage to try things that I couldn't have tried. And I think that my hope is that'll just continue and continue that sort of dynamic where you get you sort of you know what you're doing a little bit more, so you can try you can be a little more weird and wacky. So do you think that's kind of the end of this cycle of like doing something difficult, achieving it, and then kind of moving on to something else like th this seems like you're finding new challenges within one thing well, okay, okay so that's a good question because maybe there's different elements within comedy they're like you know various challenges like i was um just doing that first hour and having it not suck to me was like a win do you know what i mean it's almost like, like hammering out like sheet metal or something yeah it's like, it's like, it's like a physical act almost. and it's cool because like it's out there it's on youtube for free check it out oh, we'll but, have um, the links and we're gonna we're gonna plug it at the end but like i was like i'd be i would have been i would have been thrilled if ten thousand people watched it i had no idea what it was and it's just on my youtube channel so it's not like co-branded with any major label or anyone and it's you know it's 130,000 views did you edit edit it yourself no, I brought in an editor after the fact and um, who re actually, re thank, thank God, reached out to me and said, hey, I hear you're doing this special. Can I direct it? And uh, I'd already like shot it. And I was like, well, I've already shot it. But and he's like, I'll give me all the raw stuff. And, th you know, and uh, shout out to Jason Katz, who's done some, he's done so many amazing specials now. And, um, and I want him to do, he's going to do like all the, everything on the next one. Like I was fiddling with cameras and audio equipment five minutes before I went on stage. Like it was, <laughs> it was a DIY duct tape and spit. Again, I would I would be able to handle it if I like. Because I remember when I recorded an album, if I had to like worry about the sound levels right before I went on, I, I think I would have just crumbled. Oh, it was stressful, and I only had one show, so I was like, well, "Oh it, yeah, you, you can't you can't, can't it up. If anything that gets screwed up just gets cut." Because um, and the good you know good parts are there are two big chunks I missed and uh. They're on the. That's what they're on the second one. Me, oh, meaning you missed like they, they didn't land when you told the jokes. No, no, about. I just skipped them. Oh wow! Because the other thing was, you know, that first, like a lot of that material was developed in like five minute open mics and then five minute like you know check late spots yeah. and late night and stuff. So like I'd never done it as an hour. Whoa! So I didn't know. I'd done it in my living room to nobody, but like I didn't know how. Like I had no idea if it was forty five minutes of material or three hours. You know, because I'd never, so it turned out it would have been, had I done it all, it would have been like an hour and 25 minutes or something. Wow. And I and ended up doing 62 minutes. The special's like 56 or something. But then I had a couple chunks that I had a, I had a ready very, for the second one. a very similar experience when I did um, my Caroline's Breakout Artist mm. set. And because I, I would like, I did a couple like road gigs where I could do like 20, 25 minutes. Right. But again, I, I hadn't done it as an hour at all and like the two or three weeks leading up to it i didn't i couldn't get anything booked like like not even like bar shows around oh, wow. town so i literally the last two three weeks was just rehearsing it via five minute open mic yep. five minute late night five minute whatever at a time 
and like I was happy with how it went and so it like it, it's 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 very tough but I'm happy that like guys like us who might not be able to find like those longer bits of stage time can still like grind it out when when we need to and like, like yeah, yeah. make the most of what we have. Yeah, I mean luckily this this time I have a bunch you of have like, more, yeah. I have some feature stuff coming up. So that's 20 25 minutes and it's I can chunk it out and do big pieces of it. Um like I did a I did a feature weekend where I did five shows and I was doing 20 25 minutes. Mm -hmm. And when I came back and I cut up the videos i was like i did like 42 minutes yeah. of unique material over those five sets and so, do you feel like like it's it's it, from thursday to sunday it's like almost completely different oh it gets so much better like just the being able to get up that often by the end of it you're just it's you're mm -hmm. cooking mm -hmm. but that you know that thursday night show it yeah it's it, like kind of jumping into the water you, you could still time. have a great show but it's not like then once you get to saturday you're just I know, and that's the stuff that really like I, I like salivate all over, over almost like oh man like what if like a, like a real like touring headliner took me on the road and I got to do twenty twenty five minutes four or five times every oh it's week. great it, it's it would the best. change my entire it's the best ability in like in, yeah. in life um and I got a couple of headliner spots lined up so I will get to run it a few times it'll it'll it will it'll be more than it, just five minute chunks yes, at a time and it's gonna be two shows this time so it's like I'm growing um and it's funny because like. Sometimes I do think, like, what if I'd never taped the first one? How good, like, would this second one be that much? If the second one was just the first one, oh, like, you know, if I could take the two hours and come, like, whittle it down to, like, what's the best 50 minutes would it be? And it would, well, yeah, of course it'd be better, but who cares? But I think there's also something really interesting about, and I think this is what helps people really grow online, is like the audience gets invested early and they, they see a growth trajectory. Mm. So like like all of the hundred and thirty thousand people that have watched the special, you know, if they come back again and watch the second one, it's like oh look look yeah, at the yeah, jump from yeah, one yeah. to two. And you also you get to a point where like you like part of me doing the first one was I I, I need like starting comedy when I did and and being my age and who I am like no one's gonna go, no one's gonna go out of their way to like help me. <laughs> so we got this guy. He worked at Goldman Sachs. We got yeah, we got to give a, him a deal. Yeah, you know, so I, I was like, I want. I'll just create my own credit. I'll, you can bring me to stage. Is like he's got a YouTube special, and I can just and I can make that happen. No one like anything you can do that where there's no gatekeeper involved means you can actually just do it if you want to, right? And if you're willing to. The legwork of like, edit, the, like watching yeah. the, the videos to edit and figure out the cameras, like just get all that, all the detail in there. And once you've done it, like I'm almost glad I did it the way I did because now I understand a lot of the little things that go into doing something. So like this, the, I could be that much more prepared for the second one, both in terms of like the material itself, but also all the little things mm -hmm. about like the night of and um, making sure it, it goes as well as it can and stuff. How, um, speaking of like the little things you have like very, I know you have very specific strategies for how you do stuff online. So like you have like a strategy for like rotating YouTube videos. What, what does that look like? exactly? Oh, well to me, like to me, like the YouTube is the one that I'm most, um, I focused on my, but cause YouTube is the one I have monetized. Right. Mm -hmm. So I actually, you get a little bit, it's nice like over time to make back the money you spent producing the, the special is nice. Um, but generally I just post everything everywhere and Instagram and YouTube kind of, kind of go, I usually try to post around the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, I've stopped trying to game like the algorithm, like, Oh, if you post at two thirty-two and it's yeah. a full moon, you'll get more view. Like, I, I don't know. Maybe and then it doesn't, it'll drive you nuts. Maybe. Like, yeah. But, um, and then, you know, Instagram change and they change their algorithms and you know, you just, my view on that is, uh, don't post something that's complete garbage, but, and, and, and I think shorter is better. 
but for Instagram anyway, but just post something that you're proud to have out there and um, don't worry too much about burning material because no one cares. And uh, if you like it and you're proud of it, like you never, you never know which one is going to hit. Yeah. But just do it on a regular basis and eventually good things will happen. Yeah. Uh, burning material seems to be like uh, a concern that's been left behind in like the early two thousands or the nineties. Like yeah. that's kind of, it's, it's, well, because you know, I would—you'd have to have millions of people watch a clip for it to truly be burned. That would be a great problem to have, right? Like even my special. Sometimes when they bring me, they'll bring me to stage. Like you may have seen his YouTube special, and I've opened a few times with "Make some noise if you've seen my YouTube special," and the room is dead silent. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I just go like, oh, "That's about right," and everyone kind of laughs because it breaks the tension. But that's that's the reality. Like the the chance of someone like they're not coming to see me at the shows I'm doing. Like I'm not at that stage yet, mm -hmm. and so. I could do I could do just material from that first hour and no one's going to have heard it. Yeah, and it's been online for And it's been online a for year. almost a year. So, it's fine. That's very cool. I get when you get to a different level and you're they're your fans. They've they're going to watch your special as soon as it comes out cuz the big like there are comics where every, when they put out a special, it's one of the, like I get excited, I'm going to watch it the day it comes out. Oh yeah. If I then saw them 2 months later and it was the same material, I would be disappointed. But that's not, I'm not anywhere near that kind of situation yet, right? You know what I think of, um, and I don't know if this is like a one-to-one -one comparison, but I just think of Little Wayne in the, in the mid, the white way I say that, my collar suit. Little Wayne, everybody, collar shirt. Little Wayne, everybody. Um, Little Wayne in the mid-2000s where he just like put out like 10 to like 15 free mixtapes oh wow and just all of these 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 free songs that people would just download online and share with each other and like i remember him saying like people tell me like what are you doing putting all these songs out you got to save them for the album he goes he goes my brand or whatever what i am it's not an album it, my 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 what i want people to think of when they think of me is not what album i've done it's just talent like this is mm. the most talented rapper best rapper out there and then everything else will take care of itself afterwards and it did because he put out carter three in 2008 sold a million copies its first week all because of like that three-year mixtape right. run he did leading up to it so i think like you have the right perspective where it's like don't think worry about burning material or putting stuff out like it, that's that's not a problem now it's only gonna make things easier in the future yeah i do think though like that's an interesting example because he monetized it later on and mm -hmm. kind of had the confidence that that would work and that's the one thing about um say somewhere where I'm at, where if I put out something, if I'm putting out all this great free material, which I think a lot of the jokes I've put on Instagram and YouTube are good. Um, but, I, but there's no direct compensation for that. So I, 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 I'm aware, like, I do think you want to be aware of what you're giving away for free, mm -hmm. but at the same time, I do think, um, that could be monetized down the road. I also think like putting up, like if you have a, you do a joke and it, and you, at New York Comedy Club and it hits and you post it, great. Two months later, that same joke, you get a great tape of it at Gotham. Post that one too. Who cares? Yeah. No one's like no one's no one checking. cares. Yeah. If it's a great joke and it does well and it's a good clip, just put no one cares. And then and and then of course you're not burning it because you've already posted it. Right. It's just burn it twice. Burn, burn it, it three times. Yeah, Who cares? Keep keep burning it. Keep put out the uh the free mixtapes. It's just people like people are just scrolling through these things, watching a little clip. Oh, it's funny. They go to the next thing. Oh, maybe I'll follow that person. Like it's just, it's, it's all just yeah, it's like people's feeds. It's not even all stand up, let alone all your stand up. Like nobody gives a shit. It's it's like stand up, a video of a dog, yeah, a pimple popping video, 
then one of your clips, then like one of like Bill Burr's clips. It's just like it's all in the same in the same mix, and it's like yeah, it's it, the preciousness is like something we've had to kind of unlearn. And I, I guess like. look, I do think it also depends on what kind of comic you are. I don't want to walk back what I said, but everything I've said pertains to like me. Whereas I do write a lot of short jokes, and sometimes I'll get a a, a video of a joke that worked really well in the room, but it, mm -hmm. but I, in my mind, it's, it's not the best joke. Worked well in the room. Room. I'll post it and I'll probably never tell it again. Yeah. And so I've. What have I? I haven't lost anything. And I still think it shows that I'm funny. Whereas someone else who is, you know, maybe they're a storyteller and their jokes are much longer and the and it and, it, and it's a different style of comedy. Yeah. Maybe they don't want to burn right what they're talking about. Maybe they want it. Maybe they want you to. If you want to hear their latest stuff, maybe they want you to come buy a ticket. Yeah. The vertical video medium, I guess, wouldn't be for them. Maybe like yeah, if they wanted to post a longer joke on YouTube or, or right. one story to kind of give you a sense. Um, and like Liz Mealy in the last episode said, like she doesn't post anything new. Yeah. It's all, but she has this bank of material. But that, that she, yeah, she's a great she, example because if I had four hours of material, mm -hmm. I probably wouldn't be posting new stuff either because I wouldn't yeah. have to. But I have to, and. And I'm okay with it, but I totally get her. What she said made a ton of sense. If you've got that much material, you don't need, you just. Yeah. Like a lot of the stuff, cause a lot of the, the things that people do when they try, I don't want to say rationalize cause that's not the right yeah. word, but it's like, yeah, post, post your new jokes. Who cares? It's like, well, it's like, you kind of have to, because you don't have any other option. Right. But if you had the option to go like yeah. repost old stuff that I guess all things being equal would be better because that means when someone, a fan of yours goes to see you. They definitely haven't yeah, yeah. heard the jokes. Instead of maybe they've heard two or three, right? And like, which is a small difference. If you're one of the, if you're someone that's much more uh, experienced than me, and you've done you've done seven late night sets, you have like mm -hmm. thirty five minutes of late night stuff. Like you can, you can just keep yeah, just cycling, chop those up, yeah. chop those up, continually post them, and you're you're not burning anything. They're they're high quality videos that are well produced with great sound. You're in a suit, it's clear that you're on a thing mm -hmm. that that means something. Those are great. You don't need to, you don't need to take your latest set at New York Comedy Club and find eight seconds yeah. that you can throw on on TikTok. You you don't need to, and that's you know we, we all. Uh, not only that, you probably have some someone else doing it for you. Yes. So that's what we all that's what we all aspire to. I think the goal is to be so good at social media you don't need it anymore, or at least you don't need to use it. I think that's mm. like the, everyone's goal is to use social media till you don't have to. Well, it all cycles around, like. Think of it wasn't that long ago that um, Instagram wasn't really a thing for for video clips, and TikTok's even newer than that. And what's the next thing going to be? Yeah, I think the lesson of social media for comedians is don't when the new thing comes, don't sit on your hands and wait. Mm -hmm. Be one of the, like the people that have benefited the most from Instagram Reels from TikTok are the people that um, really made a commitment to it early and built up a fan base because um, it's much harder now to have that video go viral in that way and get 100,000 people to follow you. I think when when it was newer, I think that happened faster. Yeah, because people are just looking for somebody to follow, but now the market is like essentially flooded. Right. So you have the special that you're recording in December. Like, is I mean, are you like right now just focused on just stand up, write the jokes, work on the special, post the clips? Like stand up is like everything right now or are you leaning towards other things too? Like other things within like, like comedy adjacent? screenwriting class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, like there's, I, I'm always thinking of other things to do, but right now the focus is pretty much on that. Um, but you, again, even that you need to step away every once in a while just so that you're looking at it with fresh eyes. So, um, I've got a few, a few ideas that are like longer term things that you just sort of chip away at. Mm -hmm. Um, and even just that other weird writing process 
like that's something that I'm just you know you chip away yeah and, and slowly over the matter of months it starts to get better and better and it doesn't have to be anything when you're doing it's not like no, I'm there's no deadline jokes yeah tonight. there's I, no I'm working on this to make it good there's no deadline for it and um and I work like one of the you know the reason to do something like I work very well with a deadline I don't know if it's the the former banker in me <laughs> but when I Put like a flag in this in the you know you, when you plant a flag on a calendar and you're like hey make sure when that day comes around you don't embarrass yourself I find that highly motivating yeah. and I get very productive like I remember like leading up to um, last June when I taped the first one that last two months there's probably 10, 12 minutes in that special that were written within the last six weeks wow because all of a sudden just stuff started like my brain just started firing out because I was looking at the set and I was thinking it'd be cool to have a joke about this right here and then I would just come up with one. And I think it was the pressure of I only have so much time. And that really helped me. Yeah, it's like it becomes concrete. I'm feeling the same way now because I'm I'm producing a monthly show at QED where it's, oh, like nice. it's being recorded and it's meant to like generate clips for the like it's all That's comedians great. that have less than ten thousand followers. Oh cool. And it's to get clips to to for them to post and try and grow the following. So now that I have the show coming up in a month, I, I do find myself not just writing more, but writing better for some reason. Yep. It's like when I have a goal, my subconscious like turns on and yep. puts out the good stuff. No, absolutely. Adam, thanks for dropping by and oh, for making the trip for, uh, to the Upper East Side. Where were you coming from, by the way? I was coming from uh, from Williamsburg. Oh, okay. That's so that's not, not too bad of a trip. No, no. Um, where can people find you? What do you want to plug? We'll put all the links in the, uh, the oh, comment yeah. description section. So it's at Adam.Mueller, uh, spelled Muller, um, mm -hmm. on Instagram and TikTok. I think it's Adam underscore Muller on uh Whatever Twitter's called now and um, X X. We have, we'll put the links in the in the description. So yeah, yeah. Just don't worry about it. Just click on it. You're and good follow, to go. yeah, follow, I mean, subscribe to my YouTube. That'd be the most meaningful thing to me. Watch watch my first hour. You don't even, don't just turn it on and then go make Slovaki or something. Yeah, but you want to um, like you know just let make it roll. People think you're working when you're working remotely. Just put Adam Special on. Yeah, yeah. So your Slack stays active and you can go do whatever the hell you just want. Put it, give it give it a look and uh and if you're in New York um. I'll start promoting the new one like after Labor Day. No, okay. no one's going to buy tickets in August or something in December. Yeah. But um, it's like it's that's cold weather. I can't even imagine that. December. Yeah. You know, December 7th. Got to do it on uh, Pearl Harbor Day. Dece but, um, <laughs> December 7th at Westside Comedy Club. Yes. Again, all the links will be in there. Uh, thanks so much for coming by and uh, smash that like button. You guys know what to do. Subscribe, whatever the thing is that I have yeah. to say. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Right, thanks for having me. Of course. Anytime. Yeah.